The Steve Lobby Agency presents The Christian Publishing Show, a podcast for writers who want to advance Christ's kingdom using the written word. Here's your host, Thomas Umstadt Jr. How can authors overcome burnout and discouragement? And how can writing be restful and encouraging? These questions and more are what we are going to be discussing today on the Christian Publishing Show. And joining me is Karen Ball, who's a best-selling author, professional editor, and speaker, and Aaron Taylor Young, an award-winning author, writer, teacher, and speaker. And they both host the excellent Write from the Deep podcast, a podcast that encourages, refreshes, and equips Christian writers. Erin and Karen, welcome to the Christian Publishing Show. Thanks so much. We appreciate it. I'm, I'm excited to be here. And Erin and Karen had me on their podcast. I know! <laughs> back in the day, <laughs> we talked about how to handle haters. Uh, so I once had uh, thousands of people hating on me on the internet all at the same time before outrage culture was a thing. So before this was normal, <laughs> I got to experience it. And I'll actually have a link uh, to that episode in the show notes if you're curious. Yeah, it was a good episode. Yeah, Thomas was hated before it was popular. <laughs> well, I don't know. Hate hate is very ancient, but internet outrage, uh, I feel like it's just been perfected in the last couple of years. Oh, and how sad is that? Yeah, um, but I do want to talk about writing and the kind of emotional process of writing. And I have to ask, why is writing so hard emotionally? I mean, all you do is sit down at your computer and type, right? Why does this have to be so emotionally difficult? There's a great old saying out there that says, writing uh, an excellent book, all it takes is sitting down, slitting a wrist and letting it bleed on the keyboard. And that's a lot of why it's so hard emotionally, because you can't write from a distance, whether you're writing fiction or nonfiction, you can't be distant from what you're writing. You have to be intimately involved with the story, with the characters. If you're not being impacted emotionally by what you're writing, then your readers won't be either. And so just the act of writing has that emotion component to it because it's necessary for what you're writing to have any impact on your readers. Right. And then, though, when you're doing that, you're hanging it all out there, people are going to reject it. People are <laughs> going to hurt you. People are going to take this thing, this what you've bared your soul on this book, and they're going to say, you did it wrong. You know, and, and there's all these things that you have to deal with the rejection, the um, you're trying to make structural sense really out of your emotions. And that's really hard to do. So you've got people judging what you've put on the page, what, what you've bled on the page. And that's hard. I mean, think about it, Thomas, you've got this beautiful new baby that you and your wife created. And how would you feel if you took her out there and showed her to people and they said, wow, that's, that's like the ugliest baby I have ever seen. So that would be pretty hard emotionally. Exactly. There's a great Robert Frost quote who said, uh, no tears in the writer, no tears in the reader, no surprise in the writer, no surprise in the reader. And I remember when I was writing uh, my book, Courtship and Crisis, I, uh, it felt like I'd already walked the emotionally difficult journey and the blog posts that led up to the to the book. But at one point, I was like weeping as I was writing because I was digging through some things that were very emotionally painful uh, for me. And it's interesting because part of that chapter now exists as a blog post, and it is currently and has been for the last year or so the most popular blog post on my blog. Even more popular than the one that had a million views back in the day and like set the internet on fire. This uh, this other one, the one that was so painful for me to write, I was writing about confidence and why men feel undateable and why women feel 
unwanted and how those two things play with each other and talking about my experiences of, of being rejected. And like, that is what's resonating of all the things on my blog. That's exactly <laughs> right. And it was like, I had to be willing to go to that painful place. And um, I guess I should just ask how, how can our listener, how can our listener do that? How can our listener go to the painful place in his life or her life and find those kind of nuggets that will resonate with uh, their readers? Well, I think it starts with being willing to be vulnerable. When I wrote uh, my novel, The Breaking Point, which was based on what Don and I had gone through in 20 years of marriage counseling and a very difficult relationship, um, I, I wanted to kind of reserve some of my feelings. I wanted to reserve some of Don's feelings so that we weren't just, you know, out there for everybody to see our weaknesses and the anger and all this kind of stuff. And I realized that if I did that, I was cheating the reader because I wasn't being honest about what was happening. And so when, when your listeners come to the page, they have to be willing to be as vulnerable as they've ever been anywhere. They have to be willing to let the truth show up in how deeply hurt they were. If it's something based on what they went through or to imagine for their characters, be honest about the emotions that their characters would be going through. Um, you know, people have complained about Christian fiction and said the good people are all good, the bad guys are just these cartoonish characters. That won't happen if you put authentic emotion, authentic pain, authentic joy on the page. You know, I think, too, that if there's something you're hesitating to write, it probably needs to be written. You know, if especially if it's about you, you know, you, Thomas, you were willing to dig into that feeling of rejection and how men feel that kind of thing. If you're sitting there going home, I don't want to write that. I don't want to go there. It probably means you need to go there. Right. There's a great book called The War of Art, and it talks about uh, this concept of the resistance. It's this thing inside of us that keeps us from being creative. And it's actually can often be like a guiding light. Like that thing that is the most scary, that thing is the most difficult, is often where your best work is going to be. And you'll notice that truly successful artists, your musicians at the top of their craft, the actors at the top of their craft, um, often don't like returning to the same role over and over again. Even though it's really easy it's they're no longer having to fight the resistance and they're no longer improving. They're no longer uh, getting better. And the ones who are truly good have like come to long to, you know, to take on the resistance <laughs> in their art. Uh, and they want to do the difficult thing. And that that's often what separates those who are truly successful than those who are not, uh, is that the successful ones go for that hardest, scariest thing. And they do that first rather than doing that last. Well, it's interesting, too, because authors have to be willing to stop if they're afraid of something. They have to be willing to stop and explore what it is about writing that particular scene, that particular character that frightens them. And nine times out of 10, I would say that they're afraid to write it because it will make them look bad or it will make somebody else look bad or somebody will think that they're writing about them. But you cannot let fear come in and keep you from writing what God is moving you to 
to write. Anytime fear comes into play, it's going to steal the authenticity. It's going to steal the power of your writing. I mean, there's wisdom that comes into play. You know, maybe this isn't the time to write this. And if God is telling you to hold off, then definitely you do that. But when it's fear that's holding you back, you need to stop and you need to submit that to God and you need to explore whether or not that's exactly what you need to be putting on the page. I could not agree more. In fact, there's a reason why the second episode of this show is all about how to find your courage as an author. <laughs> and, and why that's one of the things that I look for as an agent, actually. It's, it's of, the, of the There's lots of as, attributes of writers, but the three things I look for is courage, hustle, and resonance. And courage is so critical because it do, it's not just about tackling big issues and taking on powerful, you know, speaking truth to power. And I think a lot of people who only read the title think that that's what I'm looking for. It's like, I want, I'm looking for people to write about, you know, human trafficking. It's like, that's, that doesn't actually take any courage, right? No one's on the other side of that debate being like, no, I think human trafficking is good. It's like, no, real courage is taking on people who are beloved, it, it, but more fundamentally, it's about writing in such a way where you do connect with those pain points in people's lives from the pain points in your life. Uh, there's a saying that when you throw a stone into a pack of dogs, the one who yelps is the one who got hit. <laughs> and oftentimes as writers, we're not willing to throw that stone into the pack of dogs. We want to throw over them where it looks like we're getting close and then no one's yelping. And then suddenly when our book comes out, no one's yelping. We're like, oh, nobody's yelping. <laughs> it's like you got <laughs> you to be willing to strike a nerve, right? When a dentist is digging around, he knows he's struck a nerve uh, when there's pain, right? No pain, no nerve. Yeah, when when the patient leaps out of the chair, you know that you've struck a nerve. <laughs> yeah, so I wanted to uh, change uh, directions here a little bit and talk about burnout because, uh, you know, doing things like going into these emotionally difficult places like that's exhausting and and why is it that authors uh, get often get burned out you know one of the things that we forget about creative energy is that it is still energy creative energy is not limitless you know we know time is limited because we can see hours on the day right but we forget that our creativity that's an energy that needs to be managed it's it's a needs to be stewarded you know, and used wisely. So often we forget things like rest. We forget things like Sabbath. We forget to nurture our soul. We're constantly pouring out and never filling up. You can't keep going, 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 going. You've got to schedule that refill time. You've got to schedule the downtime. I think also writers tend to come into the whole writing arena with the wrong focus, the wrong goals or expectations that they get their focus on being published rather than on the fact Christian writers, rather than on the fact that God gave them this task and they need to be obedient. And being obedient means doing all this hard work and being vulnerable and all these things. And if that publication goal doesn't come, then they get discouraged. And then they feel like everything that I've done was wasted without realizing that obedience is never wasted. God does things through our obedience that will impact lives in ways we never imagined. Yeah, the carpenter doesn't just build the house. The house builds the carpenter, right? You are a better carpenter for having built the house. And even if that house doesn't sell, you're now a better carpenter for the next house 
that you build and so on and so forth. And for writing, you know, unlike carpentry, you really have to be one of the best <laughs> to be published, right? Like most people won't be published or if they are published, they won't be read because it is a winner takes all market. It's much more like being a professional athlete than it is like being a plumber, right? Like even a mediocre plumber can still find work because everybody's got to get their, you know, pipes fixed in their house, even poor people. And, and um, but writing isn't, isn't quite that way. And uh, Aaron, I liked what you were saying about uh, creative energy, because a lot of people don't think about, you know, their mental energy as, as a um, something to be stewarded. And I find that uh, I often waste my most creative, my most energetic hours at the beginning of the day on email correspondence that I can do even when I'm mentally exhausted. <laughs> Like, you know, if I would just work on a project every day, I just had a project that I did before I checked my email, I would get so much more done. But the urgency, right, and the unknown of that email makes me feel like, oh, well, I should just check it real quick, make sure I don't have any key urgent emails. No, don't go there. <laughs> no, it's called the tyranny of the deadline. You give yourself over to the tyranny of the deadline. Ooh, there's emails there. I have to answer them rather than saying, if I do that, my 10,000 words today will be in emails. <laughs> so when it comes time to write 10,000 words for my work in progress, I'll be like the same word over and over. The, 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 and that's the extent of it. I will say I have crafted some epic emails in my day. In fact, yeah. I, 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 a client sent me a, a question and I sent her back this epic email and her response was, thank you. And then she said, you should turn this into a podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you got to redeem all of the work you put into sending me uh, this email. Going back to why authors get burned out, you also have to realize that there are outside influences that, that wear us out, things we have no control over. We have this, this um, perception of control. I can do this and I can do that. And But what happens when you deal with things like grief, somebody dies who's very close to you, when you deal with health issues that just constantly, constantly rag at you, when you have emotional fatigue, you're in a difficult relationship and every day is a battle and yet you have to come and have that creative energy. We have to learn how to deal with all of those outside influences based in God and what he wants from us and with his scripture counteracting all that. Plus, you have psychological influences. You have those little voices at the back of your mind telling you things like, do you see all the books on the shelves? Why would they need a book from you? There are so many things that can potentially work against us and burn us out if we don't keep our focus where it needs to be. Yeah, you control what you can control, but you also manage what you can't control. A lot of people don't realize, but C.S. Lewis, for the first part of his career, lived with a ailing elderly woman. When he went off to World War One, he made a deal with his best friend that if either of them died, the survivor would take care of the other one's mother or the, the other one's parents. And C.S. Lewis's buddy went up and died in World War One, which is very <laughs> uncourteous of him. <laughs> so C.S. Lewis was stuck with this deal that he made as a young man who he basically inherited uh, this invalid woman who he lived with and was constantly interrupting him, asking him to fetch things for her and take care of her. So he'd be writing with a quill pen and she'd be like, you know, Clive, I need blah, blah, blah. And so he'd put the pen down, you know, mid-sentence, go and take care of her and come back. And that's how he wrote a bunch of his early writings and he was able to 
create masterpieces <laughs> in that. So don't feel like, oh, if only I could create this like ideal cabin in the woods with no distractions, then suddenly <laughs> I could write and I could write so much. And I will say, I talk with a lot of writers who've gone out to cabins in the woods and you know what they took with them? All of that emotional baggage <laughs> that they had back at home. There's a great Dick Van Dyke episode out there where he decides that rather than just being a comedy writer for a TV show, he's going to go write the great American novel. And he goes to the cabin in the woods and it's hysterical. Everything that he does but write, even to the point where he feels like the table is his typewriter on is, is not balanced. And so he spends most of his time shaving off of each leg and it gets to the point where it's like it's down so low. He's like he's sitting on a kid chair trying to write on the <laughs> typewriter. He never gets the book written. <laughs> because he's doing all these other things. So how do we overcome that? Uh, how do we put those emotional distractions aside uh, and become like Brandon Sanderson, who writes, you know, 50,000 words every month? You know, he just sits down and he writes. He's very disciplined. How, how do we find that place emotionally? I don't think we will find that place emotionally to, to write 50,000 words. That is atypical. And, and there are times we just had this big conversation on a writer's loop that I'm on. How do you um, power through when you're in burnout? How do you power through when you're just struggling every day? And sometimes powering through is the exact wrong thing to do. It's just like when you're sick, but if you keep pushing through, ultimately your body is going to just stop. And you have to stop. You have to get rest. So sometimes with burnout, you need to step away. You need to step away from the insanity, from the demands, from everything, and take time to be silent. Take time, like Aaron said at the beginning, to get refreshed before you try to go back to the page. And then you write the number of words a day that you write. You don't try to do what Angie Hutt does, where she writes an entire novel in one day. <laughs> but the people who can do that are rare. But she even admits that when she does that, there's they're really stinky words and she has to go back in and rewrite and edit. But but you have to figure out what your rhythm is and, and what the best thing is for you in maintaining that creative energy and not letting yourself get used up. I think you need to have this um, creative pace, you know, that discovery of when are you most efficient? When is your creative time? And be paced with that rather than trying to force it at the wrong time and in the wrong places. You know, if you're writing when you're most creative, you might get twice as much done, you know? So it's just understanding um, who you are and how you work best. And it's also like, like we were saying, it's, it's making sure that you're refilling that well all the time. You, you can't, you can't write from deficit. Yeah. So what are some ways to refill that well and to write from that place of rest? Give us, let's get super practical here. Oh, it's so individual. I mean, for me, it's going outside and, and playing with my dogs or I live in Oregon. And so it's taking the dogs and going for a hike up in the mountains or it's going over to the coast for a weekend. Nature refreshes me. Being silent before God, looking at the beauty of what he's created, that refreshes me. It's immersing myself in the word, just sitting outside and reading scripture and reading it out loud so that it's like I'm reading it to myself and to my heart. But but that that may not be what does it for you. You have to figure out what feeds you emotionally. Right. And I, Karen and I are similar in this. That's probably why we hike so many places together all the time. But I actually work 
in such a way as that I can see the trees out my window because then I feel I feel connected with God's creation while I'm even writing. And that works well for me. It, it's that figuring out what you need best. And also for me, it's non-negotiable to have um, a Sabbath every week, um, to take a day where I'm meditating on God, where I am looking at him as my creator and as my supplier, as giving me everything I need. You'd be amazed how how you can fill up your well when it's coming straight from God and when he's pouring into you, when you just take the time to let him do that and to be with him. We're so rushed. We're so here, there, and everywhere. I mean, it's like silence is a thing of the past, you know? And so that silent Sabbath to me, um, that keeps my, my well filled. For some people, it's listening to music. For some people, it's just watching movies, watching people in movies and getting the stories and all that. Um, but I think another element of this is you have to determine what steals that emotional energy. What is it, is it that you're involved in that, that takes away from the emotional energy that you need to do this task that God has given you? Are you over-involved? Are you over-committed? Um, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Doesn't mean that that's what God's calling you to be involved in. Reevaluate the things that you're involved in. Now, some of that we have control over, but some of it we don't. When my dad was diagnosed with cancer and we spent a year caretaking, he lived with us and then we lost him a year later and then dealing with that grief. You know, I, I didn't, I wasn't able to do anything that required emotional energy for about two years because of that. Yeah, for me, one of the things that really drains my energy is political awareness of things I can't control. <laughs> uh, a lot of, it, it's really easy to feel like being aware of what's going on politically is meaningful, but it's not meaningful because my awareness of what's going on has no impact on what is going on. <laughs> it's like, uh, especially if there's not an election coming up, like me being aware of what's going on changes nothing. And I can spend so much energy being aware of things that I cannot control. And then that gets me depressed because right now, regardless of what you feel politically, there's something to be outraged about, something to be sad about, right? Like there's this frenetic energy that's being spent by everyone talking about things that they can't control. It's like, I should run for office where suddenly like, my awareness matters, right? But it's like we, our our founding fathers set up a system where like we vote for other people and they st they stress about that, right? You you vote for people of good character and that's their job, and then you do your job. <laughs> <laughs> it's called a republic. You have representatives. <laughs> Here's the danger in that: something is changed. You're changed. I'm the same way. My husband loves to watch the political pundits talk to each other and talk over each other. If I want to see that kind of behavior, I'll go to the playground and watch the two-year-olds. I have no desire to sit there and watch these people being so discourteous and vitriolic. But when I watch that, I get affected by it. I get depressed. I start feeling like everybody in this country is out of their freaking minds. <laughs> Nobody knows how to have reasonable discourse anymore. And so I go away and I'm at a point where I'm ready. Anybody cuts in front of me in traffic, anything, I'm like, see, see, there's no courtesy <laughs> in the world, you know. 
That's really good. So we're we're running out of time, uh, but I wanted to uh, briefly talk about discouragement because uh, every author faces discouragement. It's it's one of these kind of universal elements of, of being an author. Um, what are some kind of quick tips that you have for authors when it comes to encouraging themselves uh, to persist in this writing journey? You know, Thomas, I think that discouragement is very much about we have these want to happens, you know, we have stuff that we want to happen, and then it doesn't happen. And that's how we get discouraged. So I think the best thing we can do is go back to those wants and take a look at them, and then realign those with what God wants. When God is in charge of our expectations and our wants, when we're setting our hope on that instead of our own wants, it changes everything. I think another side of it is to remember that that the, the requirement of you in being a writer is you have to remain teachable. No writer is going to churn out a perfect book or turn out a perfect book. There's always going to be something that could be done better. And writers in particular want to write their story and have everybody tell them how wonderful it is. The The hardest thing for them to deal with are the, the revision letters from editors or the critique group or whoever who come to them and say, well, this didn't really connect with me and that didn't really connect with me. And then they feel like they're not good enough. It starts all those tapes going again and getting discouraged and saying, I don't even know why I try. I am never going to get past this. But you will. As long as you look at this and you you readjust your expectations and say, every single critique that comes to me, I look at it, I determine if it's got validity to it. And if it does, it's going to make me better. You never stop learning. The best-selling writer out there has things that they can do better. You should never stop learning. I still remember my very first time to speak at Mount Hermon. Uh, I was doing this late workshop on like the last day on some technical topic. And right there on the front row was a like industry renowned best-selling author. (laughs) (laughs) No pressure there. (laughs) I was like, what are you doing in my class? (laughs) But, But she wanted to know the latest technical things and she was hungry to learn. And that's what I was there teaching and she was there on the front row taking notes. And um, that was really instructional for me because uh, it was not a well-attended class. Um, but the the people at the top actually are the ones often who have the most uh, desire to learn. Now, for our last question, I felt it's only fair. You always ask people on your podcast what it means <laughs> to write from the deep. So it's time to turn the tables. And I want to ask <laughs> both of you uh, individually, I want you both to answer, uh, what does it mean to write from the deep? Well, I think um, it means to wrestle with God in the deep, difficult places, um, to wrestle with hard questions that have no easy answers. It means to write from a deep understanding of who God is and a deep abiding. You know, yes, maybe you're writing from trauma and crisis, but also sometimes we're not in trauma and crisis. We still need to write from that deep understanding of God and His wisdom. That is, that is our source of wisdom. He's the ancient of days. He knows everything. So for me, writing from the deep is about that connection in those deep, difficult, hard places and wrestling, wrestling, not being satisfied with some superficial answer, but wrestling until you get that wisdom from God. Here in Oregon, we have the Oregon Caves, and I don't know if you guys have ever gone into caves or not, and um, they take you in on a tour, and at one point when you're in those caves, they turn off all the lights. You just have no concept of dark. 
until you're in a cave. I, I put my hand, not just in front of my face, but up against my eyes. There was no light anywhere to allow me to be able to see anything. And it occurred to me that for me, writing in the deep is like being in that cave with the lights turned off. And I have to focus and listen and hear God's voice and his directions. And I may want him, fear may start to come in and I may want him to say, okay, you're going to take 10 steps forward, then turn left and go 10 steps forward again. He doesn't do that. You have to be so focused on him in those deep, dark places that you hear him say, one step forward, now stop. And then you wait for the next direction from him. Do what you know to do, but just wait and trust. There has to be so much trust in him in those places where there's no light. It feels like there's no light. So for me, writing from the deep is listening and hearing and moving when he tells me to move and resting when he tells me to rest. It's being so connected and so focused on him that there's no room for fear. There's no room for anxiety. There's only room for listening and moving when he tells me to move. Amen. And uh, you both have a new course on the Christian Writers Institute, Prepare Your Heart to Be a Writer. Uh, Tell us a little bit about uh, what students will learn in that course. So what they'll learn from this course is that the foundation of being able to go into this writing career isn't in craft books, isn't in all of those things that you think it might be, understanding marketing, anything like that, that before you even get into the business of writing, you have to prepare your heart with what God has given you this task to do. You have to understand why he's given you this task. You have to understand the potential pitfalls that will attack your heart. You know, an author's most important tool in their tool belt to be a writer is their heart and making sure that their heart is prepared based in what they understand and what they know of God to deal with all of the things that will come to them because this writing journey can be hazardous. It can be great. It can be terrific and exciting, but it can be devastating. And you need to have that deep foundational understanding of God in your heart in such a way that nothing can shake it and nothing can shatter it. You can continue forward as God makes it clear for you to do that. Awesome. And we will have a link uh, to that course in the show notes, as well as quite a few other links. We're going to have a link uh, for the uh, Right from the Deep podcast. If you want uh, to hear Aaron and Karen uh, talk about these sorts of topics, I highly recommend Uh, their podcast. We also have a link to their Patreon. And I'll have a link to um, that episode about how to handle haters, which is a good episode to get started on. (laughs) It's a great episode. (laughs) And uh, I also have a link uh, for that blog post I mentioned about the confidence crisis and then finally how to find your courage as an author. And you can, as always, find the uh, show notes at uh, christianpublishingshow.com. Aaron, Karen, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, thank you, Thomas. It's been great. It's been wonderful. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to The Christian Publishing Show. For more information and to get episodes delivered to your phone automatically, visit christianpublishingshow.com.